are technically challenged. And I just am so glad he's here to help us because um, some of the things that I asked for today, I haven't done before. And one of them is the laser pointer and he's gonna show me right now. So when I push that, it does, all right. Okay, so it's not an off on thing. Okay, but this is ready to go for me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josiah. <laughs> Welcome, I'm glad to see everybody here today. And I'm going to tell you a story about my family. Yeah. And I'm gonna start with this myself. My name is Bonnie Cole. I grew up in El Monte with my two sisters, and we went to Sabbath school at, and church at El Monte SDA Church. I vaguely remember my parents attending church with us. My father was converted to Adventism from Baptist faith soon after marrying my mother. He was a deacon, and I remember him helping in the remodel project at the church. My mother helped in the cradle roll and kindergarten Sabbath school. And sometime in the late 50s, my father was offended by one of the church elders and my parents stopped attending church. I don't know the details there, but I know who it was. And I can tell you he was an offending person. Uh, he didn't offend me enough for me to stop going, but... Um, that happened to my dad. My grandmother and aunt started taking us every week. And I used to stand in church next to my grandmother and marvel that she could sing all those hymns without even looking at the book. She would open the book and then just sing. She just knew them all, but I didn't, of course she was 70 years old and had been singing them for years and years. When I was a child, there was no open communion in church, and maybe you know what that is, maybe you don't. That means when you're not baptized that you were not uh, allowed, or they didn't want you to take part in communion, and so the children were never a part of it. We sat quietly and behaved, right? But Grandma would bring us little um, boxes of animal crackers and so on communion day, we knew we would get this box of animal crackers that was for us, and that made our communion day special for us too. Now it's open and children participate in everything, and I think that's really wonderful. I remember my mother saying prayers with us at bedtime and us praying for our pets. Father always offered blessing for the meal. And, but there was never any conversation about them at going to church or why they stopped. When I was 12 years old, the jun whole junior class began baptismal classes. And I took the classes too, but I was not ready to be baptized. I determined that I need to know more about this. At 15 years old, I asked to be baptized and my father took me every Friday night to the church for preparation class. 
And when I was baptized, my parents were not in attendance. I truly thought nothing about it at the time until my own children were baptized. And then I thought I would not have missed that. Some of you have heard my how I met Craig's story. I'm going to say it quick, but um, some of you haven't. So uh, my husband is Craig, and that's my daughter, Cassandra, and my son-in-law, Stephen, there. And we met on a blind date set up by our pastor, my pastor. He, uh, his, his daughter went to school with one of... Um, his daughter was married to someone Craig went to school with. So when she met me, she said, I think I know somebody you'd like to meet. And they set us up on a blind date and we went to see the Heritage Singers. And uh, we had a lot in common and a year later we got married. That was 42 years ago. We lived most of those years in Rancho Cucamonga and Upland and belonged to the Ontario Seventh-day Adventist Church for more than 20 years. I've held many offices in the church, Sabbath school teacher, Sabbath school superintendent, social committee chairman, finance chair for the San Antonio Christian School, home and school chair for the school, and elder. Two years ago, we moved to Crestline, and this past January, we transferred our membership here, and a few weeks ago, I became a deaconess at Crestline. <laughs> Professionally, I work for a homeless shelter in Upland. I'm the associate director there. My position in the agency is financial management and grant administration. Let's see if I do this right. No. Am I holding it wrong? There we go. And these two special people call me mom, my daughter, Cassandra, and her brother, Clint. Because it's Mother's Day weekend, I thought it'd be interesting for us to tell something that our mother taught us. And this is where I need Linda in the microphone. If we, there's not very many of us. If we, each one of us could just say, so one thing that you, your mother taught you. Uh, I'll begin. Uh, Josiah, uh, we're on the microphone. Please, thank you. He's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> my mother uh, just took us to church all the time. My dad wasn't an Adventist, but he sure acted like one. And I'm just thankful that I was brought up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, Bible and Spirit of Prophecy, and... My grandmother was real pronounced in promoting the, the Bible and spirit of prophecy, prayer, and morning and evening worship. <laughs> Thank you to my mother. She passed away November 17th, 2017. She was like 85, 86 years old. Wonderful mother. Somebody else? Mary Angeli. My mother taught me many, many things. But one of the things that I admire the most, now as I'm grown up and with kids, is that she taught us always to come to church no matter what. 
no matter how sick she was, no matter how whoever was sick. I remember she used to tell me, um, if you if you can go if you can go to work, you can go to church. And um, and back then I couldn't I couldn't realize that much, but I remember that we always went to church, and even even when. Um, when my father was a director of stewardship in the conference, he used to go church, but every church, I mean, every Sabbath we used to go to a different church to hear the same sermon that my father used to preach. And we, we knew that sermon by heart. And, um, and many times we complained, you know, especially me, I was, I was always the black sheep of the family. I always questioned everything and I always um, wanted to know the why. And it, did, it, and it didn't make sense, then it was, I was a challenge. And, um, and I remember I used to argue with my mother, so why do we need to go to church when we already know the sermon? <laughs> so she always, um, and she explained to us the importance of from, from day one. And when my, our kids were born, I started taking them to church even you know, the first time they went to church, they were like four or five days old. I mean, they went to church from the, almost the day they was born. <laughs> and um, they have never missed a day. Even when we go um, traveling or, or, or vacationing, we always stop and go to church. And that's one of the things that I, it was very rooted in, in, in us. And my mother passed away this January the 12th at um, 3.05 in the morning, and she was 87. Dan's raising his hand. Okay, Elder Dan. Mary Angeline's husband here. I'm not gonna tell you everything my mom taught me, but she was a single mom for a lot of uh, my grown up years, and she taught us to get an education and do the best that we can. Anybody else? Oh, and this is uh, Bonnie. <laughs> this is your husband here, Elder Craig Cole. My mother, she taught me all about God. And every night we would sit and she would help me with my lessons. And the first one we started with was to study the Bible. And I took Bible courses all in my uh, younger years, from first grade through eighth grade. And then I went to the academy at Linwood. She helped me every year that I had a Bible class. And when I went to college, I had Bible classes. And I chose which ones that I wanted to take. But it was every year when I was in college. So I thank my mother for starting me on the habit of studying the Bible. And she also helped me write my speeches in high school. And I remember a lot of things that my mother taught me. But basically she taught me that you need to thank God, you need to thank the Holy Spirit for, for the faith that you have that's growing. And she said something to me one time that has stuck with me ever since. There is nothing more happifying than to make others happy. These are very Academy. Uh, spiritual answers. 
which I I'm, appreciate. Uh, this is where I'm headed. I expected practical <laughs> answers. Anybody got one more? Oh, Fifi had her hand up, and she put her hand down. Yeah. What about your sisters? Anyone there? They're introverts, or do you want to say something about your mom? Sure. Um, okay. <laughs> What's your name? My name's Vicki. This is Vicki. Okay. Okay. Um, my mom, I think, taught all three of us girls how to be strong women and perseverance in times of trouble. Um, the things that she said that ring in my head still today are um, never write down anything that you don't want the whole world to know. <laughs> um, just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean that you can take it out on everybody else. And um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And those are the things <laughs> that mama taught us that stick out in my mind. I was just going to say per perseverance. That was what I was going to say. But that was all I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Judy. Judy and Vicki or Bonnie. That's uh, Judy and Vicki, Bonnie's okay. sisters. Thank you, Linda. I think we'll go on now. Um, the title of the, today's sermon is What's the Difference? And I want to start with a scripture, Deuteronomy 14.2, and we were talking about this in Sabbath school today. Um, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself. In 1 Peter 2.9 and 12, it says, We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're all called to be different, to be peculiar and strange in the very best way. In our current world, the, word, um, the news is filled with words of hate. The Lord's called us to be a strange and peculiar people to show love to all so that he may be glorified. I hope we're up for the challenge. My mother taught me many things. She taught me to cook. She taught me to mend, but not to sew. I can alter almost anything, but I can't, I don't, can't start from scratch. I haven't been successful with that. <coughs> And she, oh, that's not the one I was expecting. Ah, now I'm mixed up. You'll see it when it gets there. She taught me to pray. Aww. Have you ever played this game? This is a game where you compare two pictures. And in this, in this game, let's see if we got this. We have, I know it's a little hard to see. And I brought printouts for your kids because I didn't know if they'd be here, but take them home for them. Okay, this little horse has straight ears, and this same horse has ears that are spread out. See that? Oh, yes. This little girl has a bow on one side of her head, right there, and on this picture, it's on the other side of her head. So that's the difference in that picture. Now this one, I keep turning around, I can see it in front of me. Oh. <laughs> 
It's a little girl and a little boy. So that's the difference, right? What else is the difference? Smile. Big dimples. He has big dimples, doesn't he? And he's smiling. Anything else? The smile. The little boy is smiling. Yeah. The little girl isn't smiling yet. One's wearing a hat and one's not. These are obvious differences. What about this picture? It's a standing woman and a woman in a wheelchair. Do you think one is smarter than the other? No. You can't tell. Do you think one has, is more loving than the other? You can't tell. But when we look at this picture, one of the things that comes to mind is one is mobile and one is maybe not so mobile. Mm-hmm. Handicapped, maybe, right? There's lots of politically correct words right now that we use for, uh, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of one. <laughs> Challenged would be, mm-hmm. would be a, a politically correct word. We'll get back to that in a few minutes. Because this is Mother's Day weekend, I was thinking about some of the mothers in the Bible. I'll see. I've listed four names here. All of these women wanted desperately to have families. Hannah is one of my favorites, and that was the scripture this morning. Hannah had a sister wife that had several children and taunted Hannah because she was barren. Hannah prayed to the Lord at the temple, and the Lord remembered her prayer. She gave birth to a son and named him Samuel, because I asked the Lord for him. She made a promise to give her child to the Lord, and when he was weaned, she kept her promise. What a brave thing to do. Hannah was also blessed with two more sons and two more daughters. Samuel was a great prophet and judge, and he anointed both King David and King Saul. Sarah laughed when she was told she would have a child at the age of 90. There are many twists and turns in her story, but her son, when her son Isaac was born, it was a big blessing to both Sarah and Abraham. Rachel waited for a child and watched while her sister would have several children. She was finally the mother of Joseph, Jacob's favorite young son, who received the coat of many colors. Last, I listed Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was very young, probably about 15 years old. Think of yourself at age 15. Were you ready to become a mother? But Mary understood that the Lord had chosen her and he took, she took her duty very seriously, remembering in her heart that he was the son of God. She was Jesus' first teacher, as all mothers are their first teacher of their children. See, I skipped. This is where my mother taught me to pray.
In Steps to Christ, Ellen White writes, our Heavenly Father wants to bestow upon us the fullness of his blessing. He requires that we pray. Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Jesus was often in prayer, and he taught his disciples how to pray. The gift of prayer is a great privilege for us. To begin the story of my mother, we must begin with grandmother. Here she is ready for Sabbath school on Easter or Mother's Day. You see, she has a corsage right there. <laughs> Her parents came to Nebraska to homestead. She was born in Pennsylvania. She studied the Bible and decided, she, oh, she was raised a Methodist. And she decided that we should baptize by immersion, which means going down under the water and the Methodist sprinkle. And so when she attended a camp meeting, she, she converted to become the first Seventh-day Adventist in our family. She married and raised nine children, two boys and seven girls. The youngest was my mother, Helen. Beginning in 1916, the polio virus arrived each summer. No one knew when it was trans how it was transmitted or what caused it. One day you had a headache and an hour later you were paralyzed. For the next four decades, swimming pools were closed during polio season for fear of this invisible enemy. Sound familiar? Those who survived this highly infectious disease could end up with some form of paralysis, forcing them to use crutches, wheelchairs, or to be in an iron lung. In the summer of 1924, polio struck my mother, who was three years old. The doctor was called, and a sign like this one was placed in the front window, warning all that the polio virus was at this house. Everyone stayed inside, quarantined. Grandfather could not come home, and he had to stay with friends until the quarantine was lifted. I couldn't find out how long the quarantines were for, but this, that's what happened to my mother's family when she was struck. She had a high fever and was taken to the nearest hospital, which happened to be a Catholic hospital in Omaha. My grandmother sat by her bed, praying that her child would recover. All the nurses at this hospital were nuns, and the nurse spoke to my grandmother. Is the child baptized, she asked. Grandmother said no. The nurse commented, she can't go to heaven unless she's been baptized. This, of course, is the Catholic faith. Grandmother continued to try to cool the fever, which was 104 degrees for several days. She bowed her head again to pray, and the nurse said, don't pray for her to live, because if she lives, she will surely have brain damage from this long fever. Then she offered to sit with my mother while my grandmother took a break. When grandmother returned, there were droplets of water on my mother's forehead. Maybe it was from the cool cloth, but grandmother believed the nun had baptized mother to prepare her for heaven. 
Today, polio has been eradicated in the world except for the countries of Afghanistan and Pakistan, according to Wikipedia. So if I'm wrong, doctor, <laughs> that's where I got it. When mother was over the fever, she could no longer walk. Some muscles had paralysis, but she was determined to get back on her little feet. She learned to walk again, and she had no brain damage at all. Grandmother's prayers were, had protected mother from the worst possibilities. She grew, and as she grew, her left leg grew longer than her right leg. She wore a lift in her right shoe to make walking easier, and she hated being different. She hated being peculiar and strange. The curious looks and sometimes pity or worse snickers at the way she moved. She called it a list. When she walked, she would kind of walk like that. She would list to the right. She wanted to be like everyone else. When the Depression came in the early 30s, the family moved to California where grandfather could find work. The doctor in California told them about a new surgery for polio survivors that could lengthen the shorter leg. Mother was 13 years old and very anxious to have the surgery. They could take, take a muscle from the strong leg and transplant it into the weak leg. This would strengthen, lengthen the shorter leg three to four inches. A person who could stand would stand much straighter and the paralysis would be less noticeable. Surgery was scheduled in March of 1933. It was successful. While recovering in the Long Beach Hospital on March 10th, the earth began to shake. The building began to crumble in places because the building was made of brick. Once again, grandmother was there with my mother and covered her child's body with her own body to protect her from falling debris, and she prayed that they would be safe. My mother and grandmother were safe, and the hospital beds were moved outside onto the lawns in case the shaking got worse. There were aftershocks for days. Most of us have experienced earthquakes. During those days, building structures were very different and could not survive a 6.4 quake. This is the headline in the Long Beach Sun on March 10th, 1933. Scores perish in Long Beach and other Southland communities as buildings crumble. The Long Beach quake was an estimated magnitude of 6.3. The final count for fatalities was 120. The first strong quake I remember was 1971, the Silmar quake. Yeah. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I asked, Craig and I were talking about, he was in La Sierra campus in the dorms. The deaths from that quake were 64. Maybe you remember the Ridgecrest quake a couple of years ago in 2019. 
it was a magnitude of 7.1, one death. We have learned a lot in California about quakes and how to uh, build buildings so that they can sustain them. The surgery helped lengthen her leg. You see it's still short, but you can see there that um, it's almost the same. And she stands much straighter here. Matthew 6, 8 says, Your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. She wanted to be normal like everyone else. She married my father in 1946. At the time they met, he was a taxi cab driver and she was the dispatcher for the cab company. Later, he drove an 18-wheeler truck on a local freight route and she worked as a secretary and bookkeeper. She wanted to have a family too. She had many conditions of paralysis in her body, but she could drive a car, and she did things just a little bit different. Her right shoulder muscle would not lift her arm. Her left leg would not lift her foot. When she got into a car to drive the clutch, she lifted her leg onto the clutch and just left it there because she could push but she couldn't lift it. How could she hope to have children? She was married for six years before they knew I would be joining the family. And by 1952, the cesarean section process was very safe and she became a mother at the age of 31. She raised three daughters. I used to watch her make little adjustments that no one noticed. She would work in her lap. She would sit in a chair and, and work in her lap. She liked to crochet and she liked to do crafts. She would work in her lap. If she needed to use the table, she would sneak her left arm over and move her right arm because it wouldn't lift. So she, she had her little ways and lots of people didn't know she had these paralysis situations because she learned how to camouflage and look and act normal. This is a picture of her when I was about six or seven years old in our little home in El Monte. And this is, when I was a teenager, teenager, she probably, this was taken, I think. She was very normal. She had lots of friends. She liked to play board games, and she read Ann Lander's advice column in the newspaper. She liked to work on crafts and sell them to earn money for Christmas. And she was a parent who did not take any back talk. Okay, so I wanted to say something about that. I wonder if any of you talk back to your parents. Never? Anybody? Not much. Anyone? If you did, what would have happened? So I was telling Cassandra this story and she was surprised <laughs> at me. Um, 
One day when I was about 12 years old, she left me with uh, chores to do, and one of them was to sweep the dining room floor. And when she returned, I had done nothing. And she said, I want you to get this floor swept now. And I said, why don't you do it yourself? Can you imagine? I was grounded for two weeks. She knew how to handle kids, even sassy kids. Probably because of the polio, she had advanced osteoporosis. She had very poor balance, and if she lost her balance, she fell hard. She lacked the muscle to catch herself from falling. When I was about 15, she was in a car accident and broke both her legs. She was in a wheelchair with two casts for about a year. The wheelchair was her biggest dread. Job 3, 24 and 27 says, what I have feared has happened to me, what I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness, no rest. That's how mother felt about the wheelchair. As soon as the casts were off, she started trying to stand and walk. My father helped her, and in a few months, she put the wheelchair away, out of sight, no longer needed. When I was about 20, she fell and broke her back. She was in a full body brace for a year or more. We had a hydraulic lift to get her in and out of bed and into the wheelchair. When her back was finally healed, she started trying to stand and walk again, and in a few months, the chair was put away, no longer needed. We all got married and started our lives. And when I was about 27, she fell and broke her strong leg in a compound fracture. The bone actually came out of the skin. It was the worst break yet. It was a long and painful recovery. And a year and a half later, the cast came off and she tried to stand and walk again. This time, my father would not help her. She cried and begged him to help her stand, and he said, no, you just have to face it. You will be in this chair for the rest of your life. She was overcome with grief. We all thought he might have been kinder about the whole situation, but the truth was, when she was in the chair, he knew she was safe. In the late 1980s, she developed congestive heart failure. She was really sick, and in and out of the hospital a lot. Her doctors told her there was a valve replacement surgery that might help her. We hear a lot about valve replacement now, but this was 1980. They would replace her weak heart valve with a heart valve from a pig. As a Seventh-day Adventist believer, she did not eat pork, and she did not want anything about a pig inside of her. It was a new procedure at the time, but she was a good candidate for success, and it would certainly extend her life. My father supported the plan, and the surgery was scheduled. What you need to know now is a bit more about her daughters. All three of us were expecting. <laughs> the night before the surgery, we gathered at the hospital with her. And she said, while you're here, I would like us to pray together. Will you pray with me? 
This was different. My father was the one who usually prayed. We stood beside her bed and she began. It was a prayer medium in length, but profound. This was not the prayer of a person who was not used to speaking to God. She knew her savior and trusted him and all, that came th all of that came through loud and clear as she spoke. She prayed for her doctors that the surgery would be a success. She prayed for her family that we would have the strength to face whatever would transpire. She prayed for her own health and asked, if it be your will, Lord, that I may be allowed to live to see my grandchildren. Oh my, what a prayer. The surgery went well and she was in the hospital for a month or more, but she got better. And this is Christmas, 1982. Here's one baby, two babies, three babies. All girls, yeah. <laughs> See how happy she is? Yeah. She's really happy. She had two grandchildren when she had the heart surgery. In 1981, two baby girls were born. In 1982, another baby girl. In 83, another baby girl and a baby boy. And finally, in 1984, another baby boy. She lived to see all of her grandchildren. She lived until 1986. She was 64 years old when she passed away. God knows what you need before you ask. He did not take the dreaded wheelchair away, but he gave her the desires of her heart and us, her children, a lesson in prayer and belief. So what's the difference? The difference is Jesus. Only Jesus can make the difference in your life to give you the meaning and the peace and the joy that's immeasurable. Psalms 37.4 is a popular verse many of us have memorized. Take, the Lord, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. For our closing song, if it's ready, we want to sing, um, I Know Whom I Have Believed. And so let's sing the song, and then let's all stand and sing the song, and then we'll have a prayer after. <laughs> 